Welcome to the Limitless Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Mason. The time is now for us to break free of conditioned habits, think for ourselves, and realize our limitless nature. We will explore talks on meditation, creativity, wellness, spirituality, and storytelling. You're in for a treat because we're peeling back the layers and diving deep. I'll be having diverse voices from all different creative backgrounds and points of view on to discuss what makes their soul limitless. Plug in and tune out the outside world as we go on this journey together. Welcome, Gerds, to the Limitless Soul podcast. So nice to see you. Hi, nice to meet you as well. And thank you for having me today. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really thrilled to be talking about empaths and speaking your truth and um, really getting into, I think we should maybe talk about boundaries and yeah, like harnessing energy. Um, I, lo- I love what you're doing and I'm so excited to have you on for this conversation. Um, before we get started, can you just share a little bit about um, where you're located and what you're doing uh, in your work and in your life right now for everyone who's listening? Sure. My name is Gerd Tundel. Um, I've been on this journey, gosh, we're talking nearly 10 years of doing the inner work. Um, I'm an empath educator, self-healing expert, and also empowerment coach for women. So I'm all about helping women to really take their power back, look at what's holding them back and help them to move forward by speaking their truth, holding boundaries, and just living the best version of themselves. Beautiful. Oh, and I'm based in London, <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> I love it. Before before we got on, I was uh, playing with playing with my voice. And maybe that, maybe that's where I started today, speaking my truth, playing with voice, playing with the power of tone and, mm-hmm. and, and dialect and how we express. Ooh, that's fun. We should talk about that a little bit too. <laughs> um, so a little bit about you. Um, you have a background in medical journalism and being yes. in the healthcare industry. Can you talk a little bit about that? Gosh, yeah. So growing up, I wanted to be a journalist, always loved just I guess that's where my curious brain came from. I just loved like asking questions. And then whilst I was studying journalism, I worked in a pharmacy and I was a healthcare advisor, then a trainee dispenser. So as I was studying journalism, that's where I kind of had the niche for health journalism. But what I didn't realize, the health side kind of linked to my mom's side of the family because my mom was a nurse. So I always had this kind of connection to like health, mind health, um, helping people was just always in my blood. And even on my dad, my dad's always been this person that loves helping people as well. So this connection is beyond me. (laughs) The work that I do is beyond me. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to be a journalist and that's what I did. I worked out in Canada for a bit in, in Toronto, uh, worked in the UK and then 2012 came and I just was not happy in my career. I was depressed. I was anxious. I wasn't living my truth. Kelly, I was, drinking crazily, going off the rails and just didn't love myself. And then overnight I, I got made redundant. And then when I got made redundant, I just felt so free for the first time. I just felt happy. And I remember coming back to my apartment where two of my flatmates lived and they were like, what's happened to you? Like, cause I was so excited. They thought it was something amazing. I was like, I've just been made redundant. And they were like, what? That's really sad. I'm like, no, I'm really happy. It was like dancing around the flat, just so happy because it was the first time I was actually doing something right for me. My soul knew it was right for me. And back then I didn't know how to trust my intuition. Um, so yeah, I just, I left that world to really discover who I was. And then it just led me on this 
amazing like journey that I didn't even have a clue about that would happen. Like I ended up having a radio show, ended up working with young people, ended up becoming a life coach, ended up really discovering who I was and all these like amazing healing modalities that I didn't even have, I had never heard of. I was so pro um, medications growing up. So when I'd heard stuff like Reiki or like EFT, I was like, oh, this is all woo woo. But then I just trusted it. And as I went on that journey of just discovering myself, that's where I am. I've become the person I am now. And I really, that's when I learned I was an empath and I learned like the power of speaking your truth and vulnerability and being honest with yourself and that it's okay to make mistakes. That was something I didn't know growing up was, it was okay to do that because I grew up in an environment where you had to follow rules and regulations. So I had a very serious life, I would say prior 2012. And then after 2012, I just became this free inner child and just didn't really care what people thought and just found myself. That's beautiful. And so for everybody who's listening, can you explain a little bit about what an empath is? Because I know that a lot of people have heard that word or maybe have some confusion around it, like the difference between having empathy and being an empath. So being an empath starts at a young age. So you're afraid to speak your truth. You don't, you feel like you're not being heard as a child. You feel like nobody gets you. So what you kind of do is you want people to actually hear you out. So in the process, what you end up doing is people pleasing. Mm. So instead of actually asking for what you want, you would just people please so people would like you. And it's a pattern that happens in a lot of young people from a young age. Um, and I know it probably happened to me from about the age of five or six years old. Um, but in the process, you you are really highly sensitive. So like sounds, um, you can pick up energy. So you can walk into a room and you can feel the vibe of the room. People come to you with their life problems. You just sit there, stranger, a family, a friend, even like the bus driver, anybody just comes to you with all their problems. Like that was my main issue. Like even in the, in the industry that I worked in, everybody came to me. Even when I worked in the pharmacy, random people, when they were giving me their prescriptions, would tell me their life story. And pharmacists would shout at me and I'd be like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just stood here. And it would happen to me everywhere I went. And that happens with a lot of empaths that people feel really connected to them and they can share anything. And usually those people will say to them, oh, you're easy to talk to. I can just share anything with you. Um, but empaths really absorb other people's pain and they feel the need to save everybody. But actually, really, the ones that need saving are themselves. So they keep giving away their power away to others. They don't know how to say no. They don't know boundaries. So a lot of empaths don't grow up with boundaries. And so that's what they kind of learn later on in life. Or sometimes they don't even learn it if they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but not everybody is an empath. It's a certain kind of, I would say, with the nervous system. Either you have a family member before who was an empath. So I know my mum's side of the family, they're very empathetic. Um, but also it can start in early childhood. Say if you had trauma, then there's kind of like, that's when it can trigger as well. Um, but everybody has empathy, but not everybody has em is an empath. So what I mean by that is when you have empathy, you're able to hold boundaries, you're able to say no to people, you're able to speak your truth. But empaths struggle with all three of those. So they tend to really struggle just, just asking for what they want in life. They just carry on just making sure everybody else is happy except for themselves. It's so interesting that you say it's, it can be like ancestral and passed down. My great aunt, so my grandmother's sister was an empath 
well, she's still alive. She's in a home now, but she is an empath. And she back in the sixties started traveling to India and was, uh, had a guru, um, Satya Sai Baba and wow. started bringing, <laughs> yeah, started bringing him to New York to live with my aunt and uncle. Um, and then she had another teacher that introduced her to some other practices or something. And she became like a spiritual recluse mm. and, um, started writing books. So she has all these books about enlightenment and the dawn of enlightenment that I've been really lucky to have and, and dive into. They're pretty deep. Um, <laughs> and I remember, uh, I asked my uncle because he became one of my teachers and taught me meditation and. I, I was like scared. I was scared to go down this path. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to become like her? She, she really can't be around anyone. <laughs> she, she's like very highly sensitive, very, um, connected. Uh, but she has to connect with people through her written word. She couldn't connect with people. Mm -hmm. She hadn't learned what you're talking about. She needed you, um, <laughs> to help her. <laughs> But he, he said, well, do you, do you want to be like her? And I was like, well, that's a hard question because yes and no, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, I would love to be that connected and feel that, you know, close to God, but I don't want to be like, I have, I love being with my family and I love being with people and I want to be able to get out here. So, um, I've had to learn what you're talking about, how to have boundaries. And it's really hard because naturally I am that, um, <laughs> it is in me. And that's exactly how I spent the first part of my life up until probably about the same time as you about 2011. Yeah. Yeah. 2011, I was about to be 30 and I'm like something completely shifted. Hold up. You're, you're not your age. I don't believe you. <laughs> no, you're, what? you're in your forties. No. Okay. Do I have my dates wrong? Okay. okay. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. So I was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 36. Are you? Yeah. I oh, yeah. Look here. I'm so surprised. <laughs> yeah. I'm 36. So whatever that was like, what? 11 years ago. You would have been then. Yeah. yeah 24. 24. Yeah. Yeah. 24. Yep. Um, <laughs> 24. So yeah, it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, so let's, I I'd love to talk about that because now I'm hearing you say all this and it's, it's definitely a journey I've been on myself and, um, kind of, I I've been unpacking it outwardly, but hearing somebody else talk about it is so interesting, especially about boundaries. Let's talk about boundaries a little bit. Like how do you set boundaries when, and <laughs> like, what, like, what does that look like? Um, because I know a lot of people who are highly sensitive, it's like, you can build up walls or you can yeah. build up, you know, distance. So what does that look like? And how do you teach on that to people who are really sensitive, want to maintain their sensitivity, but not feel overwhelmed? <laughs> yeah. So like, I just want to say as well, like before, so like I had like, so growing up, I was very highly sensitive and like really gentle. And then obviously what the world teaches you, you have to be tough and put on in, in a show. So I ended up going to the journalism world as an alpha female. That was my mask. Whoa. So I was not being my truth. So outside I was like, yes, I'm really strong inside. I'd be like, oh, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and a lot of empaths put on a front because they feel like they have to because yeah. the world won't accept them for who they are. Um, and that's why a lot of empaths struggle with boundaries as well because they're not being themselves. So how do they hold boundaries when they're not being true to themselves anyway? So I honestly believe the key 
it, it is easy to hold, create boundaries, but I honestly believe it's easier when you start doing the inner work. And what I mean by that is looking at your patterns of your life, looking at where things have happened. Once you heal those traumas, whether it's familial, ancestral, cultural, society, it could be immigrant trauma, you know, money trauma, you name it. Then you become even more sensitive, kind of like your aunt. That's probably why she became more recluse because your sensitivity heightens even more as you heal. Then it's easier to put in boundaries with people. So the way I kind of teach is we work through the trauma work first, and then we start holding boundaries and speaking your truth. Because I find it's easier once you heal the trauma that you're able to actually put in the boundaries and speak easily about what you want. But the beginning process is always going to be hard, Kelly. Like, <laughs> you know, you're going to think, oh, I need to put a boundary with somebody. You're like, oh, no. And it's happened with my clients in the beginning. They're like, oh, what am I going to do? And I'm like, just do it. Because the moment you do it, it's going to get easier. And like with my clients, like I, my voice used to shake. Like for the first time when I, and I held a boundary, I was like, no. And I felt so guilty. That's something empaths struggle with. They feel so bad to say no to somebody. But the moment you say no the first time around, the second time, the third time, fourth time around, it gets easier. And it's just saying what you want and not feeling ashamed or guilty for actually holding that boundary. So the way I teach them is we look at, you know, why they're like, they're afraid to hold a boundary. And we look at the family side and see, you know, what was it like growing up for you with your family on your mother's side, on your father's side, who held boundaries, who didn't. And then we make sure we heal that. And then we create a new boundary for what they need and who, who they need a boundary with and why they need a boundary. And then I get them to go out and actually hold those boundaries with those people. So if it's somebody like a family or a friend that hurt them, I get them to be honest with them and just say how they feel and then hold a boundary. Because I think honesty is so powerful and vulnerability is so powerful. If somebody can respect your, you being honest and vulnerable, they're more likely to actually keep that boundary. But with empaths, unfortunately, because we people please for so long, a lot of people don't like the new you when you're empowered and you're holding a boundary. They're like, oh, you've changed. Something's wrong with you. You're not the person I used to know. And then you start feeling guilty again and you end up like going a bit backwards. But what I've learned is those are not your people. You know, the people that are there for you will respect your boundaries and want to hold a relationship with you and actually want to, to listen to your needs. Those are kind of the people that you want in, in your life. And a lot of my clients, they have both. They have some people that respect the boundaries, some people don't. So we look at why that's happening and what they can do and certain things that they can do before they actually say bye-bye. Because there's a certain limit that everybody has. And if somebody's disrespecting you, you've got to take a step back and let people realize it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. What about with like close relationships, like people that you, you know, say like a parent or uh, yeah, a parent, especially as parents, I feel like that is like a big main one, especially for, um, I would say like our, at least millennials, like I feel I, I've been looking at different things about generations and things like that. And it's like millennials are kind of the ones breaking a lot of these things yeah. and, and, and we're, we're kind of paving new paths. And then like you look at the younger generations, even than us, and it's like, they're, they're kind of on a different level. They're, they're already a little bit more immersed in the culture of technology and diversity and everything's a little bit different for them than it was for us where we're still dealing with things that our parents were like really holding tightly to. And it sounds like your parents maybe too, um, and trying to communicate how we feel about that. And like, they can't see it sometimes. 
you know, they can't see that they're still playing out things from their parents and their parents. And, um, at, you know, at some point, oh my gosh, you can go back so far, but at some point when you start looking at ancestry, it's like, everybody's an immigrant in some way and everybody moved around in some way and everybody had some sort of trauma in some way. Um, cause it was hard. It's hard back then. We've yeah. got it. We've got it kind of <laughs> easy now. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we think it's so difficult now we're dealing with some different struggles, more mental, spiritually, emotional mm. than physical, you know, base core needs. And, you know, there's just such a big shift. Um, so what would you say for people who are struggling in that way, if you're an empath and, you know, you're aware that you need to have these boundaries, but when you try to set them, they're not really resonating with the other person, then what? So parents could be very hard and understand that I am a daughter of immigrants. I, the culture I grew up is very people pleasing for women. So it was even more harder for me to, to, to hold that down, but you see, you have to start. That's the key. First, I would look at their patterns. So what was it like their life, you know, like, so that's why I say do the inner work first before you do that, because then you can start to understand them because at first you might feel really angry towards them. How dare they treat me this way and that. Mm-hmm. But when you start to see their story and understand them, like you can, some people like you can write a letter to them, but I find that sometimes it's best not always to, it depends on the parents. If you know, they're not willing to listen, there's no point in writing that letter to mm-hmm. them because you're only going to get hurt. They've already shown you what, who they are the first time around. Why are you expecting a different resolution? And it's a hard reality to, to realize that. But then you can, if that doesn't work, you can also write a letter by yourself and you can let that go. So you're letting go of the pain of how they've treated you, how they've made you feel, and then have a word with them and just say, look, this really upset me. This is how you made me feel. I want you to let you know. Now, 99% parents are going to be defensive they'll be like how dare you we raised you this way we did that the (laughs) guilt the trauma the shame the blame comes out right that's just a lot of parents do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) again that's their defense mechanism and it's nothing to do with you that's the key to remember it's nothing to do with you and if they keep if they say that you're the problem just take a step back then try again and take a step back and try a few times but if you find you're, you're struggling with them the best thing is just to say, I'm holding a boundary now. Mm. I'm leaving it at that. And sometimes you do have to take a step back and not speak to them for a while. It's very hard. Um, but in the end, it might take you a year, it might take you a few years, but they will, I believe they'll, if they really care about you, they'll actually listen. Mm. Whereas there's some parents that are the opposite. They'd be like, oh my God, we want to do everything for our child and do this. And, you know, we'll make sure we change and stuff. But also it's, it, I think the key is to not have that hope at the top that they're going to change. Right. Because not every parent is the same. Um, but yeah, I've had, I've had, gosh, I've even had clients up to the age in their sixties who've talked to their parents about the most tragic things that have happened in their life and how they made them feel. And again, the defense mechanism has come out, they felt bad, but then they've also realized that it's nothing to do with them. And so they've held the boundary anyway, and just taken a few days away from them, or they've just not spoken to them for for a day or two or a few weeks. And slowly that parent starts to realize actually what they've done. So it's, it's very hard to explain the best way of doing it, but I, just from experience and just from my clients, what I've learned is that it's always going to be an uncomfortable conversation when it's a parent right. or a family member. <laughs> yeah. I love what you said about, um, not having an expectation. 
Like that is really powerful uh, insight when really dealing with anyone, because even though we've done the inner work and we've done the healing and are prepared to um, show up in a, in a more um, present way, doesn't mean that other people are ready or willing to in that moment too. Um, so sometimes they don't even meet you even in this lifetime. Yeah. And that's the key to remember is that <laughs> as long as you do your work and as long as you know your truth and you know you're a good person and you're, what you're saying is coming from a place of love and, and you want to be understood, that's all that matters. How they respond is their trauma and their defense issues and their, their childhood issues. It's nothing to do with you. It's to do with their own trauma. And I think as long as you remember that, whatever they say to you does not hurt you because you know it's just pain. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the power of speaking our truth, because a lot of this is having to be verbalized, it's having to be externalized and sometimes trying to even find the words that match the feeling can be really difficult. And I mean, I've even seen people who, you know, they've realized that they're people pleasing. They realize they've been in this pattern. I want to switch and they go so far the pen, the pendulum swings so far in the opposite direction that now it becomes like, I don't care what you say, you know, it becomes like these reactive, I, I call it like false confidence where defense where, mechanism. Yeah, defense mechanism where you're, you know, you're you're yeah, defending yourself in a way that's verbalized, but maybe not productive. So how would you um guide people to speak your truth from a place of love and groundedness instead of from a place of defensiveness. And, um, so with empaths, I'll do it, I'll do it separately. So with empaths, we find it very hard to speak our truth anyway. So when you start speaking your truth as an empath, it's just making sure that it's coming from a place of love. And the thing is with empaths, they already know that they don't want to hurt anybody anyway. So when they're speaking their truth, they're not doing it to hurt anybody. They're doing it because a boundary has been crossed and they've had enough and they need to speak up. Otherwise that person's going to hurt them and they don't want that anymore. So with empaths, it's just being honest with themselves saying, you know, if I speak my truth, how am I going to say this to this person? And like, <laughs> to be honest, most of the times with empaths, when they do speak their truth to people, people don't like it. As we mentioned earlier, like, um, you've changed. Something's wrong with you. I think there in that moment is for empaths to realize that guilt trip is nothing to do with them. That manipulation is nothing to do with them. Like, but with people in general, when they speak their truth, yes, you can go the extreme side. Um, probably how I did as an alpha female before I did my healing. Um, that was my defense mechanism being very sarcastic, you know, hurting men because it was just, I didn't, I'm scared to let them near me. Like the key is to do the work is to go back look at your patterns, look at your family patterns. Like, you know, where did you pick this up? When did you change yourself? When did you start being harsh? Who told you you needed to toughen up? Because as women, we're told to toughen up, be like men all the time. You know, that's such an 80s thing. You know, if you look back at our parents, this shoulder pad women and like toughen oh, yeah. up. And we grew up in that environment where our mothers were like that. Like it's, that's just putting on a show because men want us to behave in a certain way instead of, you know, being sensitive. So I think the first bit is you've got to deconstructualize that mindset that you need to be tough. Mm. You know, being vulnerable, being emotional is very powerful. It's your feminine side. It's your power. 
it's about knowing your power. We've forgotten our power as women for so long because we've been told we need to suppress that. And it's been the same with men, suppress your emotions. But, you know, the moment you start showing your emotions, you know, speaking from a place of love, trust, honesty, that vulnerability is just going to come out naturally. And the way you speak is going to change. The tone you speak is going to change. But it's really looking at yourself and saying, who do I want to be in this world? How do I want to be? How do I want others to see me? And that, I think that's when you can start to create a change in how you, you speak your truth. And, you know, this is from me coming from 10 years of experience. So yeah, in 2012, I was 25 and we're on the same age. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, I spent 10 years, you know, having like on this journey of peeling off the layers and really understanding myself. And I see that with my clients as well now, the layers that they have. And I think when you peel more and more of the layers, it's easier to speak from a place of love and understanding and empathy. But most of the time, people, when they're speaking their truth and it's very harsh, it's a place of trauma. It's defense again. It all comes back to the defense mechanism. And if somebody's doing that to you, just ask them, hey, what's up? Is everything all right? Because usually there's something going on in their life that's making them speak to you that way or be cruel to you for that way or, or say something in a very harsh manner. Mm-hmm. I hope I answered the question, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think that's 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 really helpful. Um and like from an empath perspective uh especially from your background in like being in healthcare and medical more of the scientific arena um and like having this like awakening during that time of being immersed in that um and then there's like the mystical kind of unseen mystery element of, of this energy and of this, uh, kind of phenomena is, (laughs) is the phenomena of being like ultra sensitive and you can read energy. I mean, you really like have some like powers that are turned on that not everybody has naturally. Is there any, um, like from a scientific realm or like a healthcare realm, if somebody was going through this, what would like in the traditional like western medicine what would they say would this be considered like anxiety or would it be considered like what would you know as opposed to going to someone like you who's like okay you're an empath and let's just work (laughs) through it here versus going to like you know a psychiatrist or something like that like what what do you think the difference would be in that? Massive. Yeah. Oh, here's take some medication. Oh, you're probably overthinking. Here's some antidepressant tablets. Oh, you're anxious. Oh, you're over worrying. Oh, you're stressed at work. Um, it'll always be labeled or oh, bipolar disorder or something. You know, I had one client that, that was told they had bipolar disorder and it actually wasn't true. Mm. It actually turned out that they were just overloaded and they didn't know how to deal with the energy that they were getting. So they were reacting maybe like somebody who may have had bipolar, but they actually weren't bipolar. Mm. And so when I've helped them to understand that energy, then they were like, oh my God, now I get it. And like have learned to protect their energy. You know, they they go to things that they want to do and don't go to things that they don't want to go to. Um, but yeah, the medical system is very quick to just label things. And the problem is we're in a day and an age where there is not enough information in the medical system. It's still back to the olden days. So like, I don't know if you know, but even women in the medical system have been mistreated for hundreds of years. So if you had a headache, they would say you were like hysteric. That's where hysteria comes from. So there's a lot of, yeah. So we've been mistreated or like, 
you had a condition, they'd be like, you're making it up, it's all in your head. So this dates back to a long time and the medical system hasn't changed that much. Um, And I know this personally because of my own, like I had a kidney problem, like I ended up having kidney disease, but I've reversed it. Um, But the way I got treated by male consultants was like doctors and surgeons was just disgusting. Like telling me it was all in my head and things like that. And I found out at the age of 29, I had a kidney defect and I was born with it. Never knew, but it was all in my head. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, going back to what you said, like about the mind health and everything, (laughs) there needs to be more knowledge in the medical system to understand these symptoms or how you're feeling. Um, And I think things are changing a little bit. I think certain medical sides are starting to understand empath, but they don't get it fully because again, they're not trained in that way. Because even if you think about the medical people in the medical system, they're very like harsh. There's no emotion. Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's like, do they even want it to be different than that? Because then they couldn't sell you something. Yeah. So yeah, there's, it seems like a big um, disconnect. And I, I guess I don't know the solution other than, uh, what I've been saying for a while, when I talk to my husband about things, when I get frustrated with the, the system and the matrix yeah. and the, you know, the way things are set up, I'm like, this isn't for us. <laughs> like, this isn't for me. Um, is, is, uh, like, this has been a human consciousness issue is that humans. And I think what's so beautiful about the internet and podcasts and things like this, that we're able to communicate directly with lots of people. And, um, share insight and awareness. And it's like, take what you need and like leave whatever doesn't resonate, but at least you're having different access points to different information. That's not all just, you know, I went to the doctor and I've got asthma. Now I have to take this inhaler for the rest of my life, or I have to go get, you know, this shot for the rest of my life, or I have, you know, I think bad thoughts sometimes about myself. So I have to take this pill for the rest of my life. It's like, there's no out there's no exit. There's no kind of like, and, and I think that this integration of having more spiritual, emotional support is so beneficial. And, um, hopefully like people just, what I would hope is that people can come to the the place where they're at that crossroads and, and, and look at options instead of just, you know, blindly going into something, um, and I think that's again, trusting yourself. So yeah. had I not trust my gut, I wouldn't have saved my kidney. Mm. Had I not trust my gut, I would allow the medical system to have messed me up even more. So that again is about speaking your truth and asking questions when it's your health, you know, nobody knows you better than yourself. Right. So as women, we tend to give up our way to like the medical system. You know, we're not feeling well. Oh, so can you advise me? Here's a medication. But why, but why don't you actually listen to what you need inside? It might be like, oh, you know, I just need to relax. Oh, I'm just, you know, I need to just take a day off. Or I might be dehydrated. And obviously sometimes there's a lot of pain that, you know, you need to go to the doctor and that, that, you know, that's just part of the process. Like, I'm grateful that I had my surgery to save the kidney. Like, there's no way spiritually we could have saved it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So this medical system does have its great parts. You know, again, without the scans, I would have never known I had, I had a kidney defect. So it's about using both to your advantage, but also trusting your gut because people are going to tell you different things in the medical system, but again, trust your gut. So like, I remember being told, oh, you you have, you know, a weak kidney, we must remove it. And my gut was like, oh no, I don't believe you. 
And then I spoke to another consultant and then they said another thing. And I think it was like the third or fourth consultant that actually got me. And I was like, yes. And so my gut went, yes, now I trust you. Mm. Um, and I think if we did that more, then we wouldn't feel the way we feel or we feel like someone's mistreated us in the medical system. They're just doing a job from the old way of working. And they're trained to not have empathy because they're dealing with so many people with health problems. So, you know, they have to learn how to control their emotions because if they start crying in front of a patient, what's going to happen? Like, you know, so that's how they're trained to be. But I, I don't agree with that. I think, you know, we need to have empathy and understanding because when you have that, the connection is stronger and actually will help the client to feel better about themselves or help them to feel understood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think yeah. things do need to change and I think things are slowly changing. Um, but again, there needs to be people like us and people in the spiritual world as well that will able to come into the medical system to change those things. Mm-hmm. So like one of the things I, you know, I was full of, I was like probably about 10 years ago, I was like dead against being a psychologist. I was like, oh no, I don't really be a psychologist or a therapist. Oh no, no, no. But what I realized is how can we make the change if I don't go in to make the change? So I need to go in to make the change. So I'm in the process of studying to become a psychologist because I'm like, how can I change the perception of being an empath if I don't go in there? So it's been a long process of changing that, but you change only happens when you go in. And you start changing the way things are. And it's a long process, but I think things like I'm doing and other people are doing will make that change if we go in to change the system. Yeah, that's, that is such a great point because, you know, thinking about doctors and nurses and practitioners and all these people, like they're people too. (laughs) And they're, if they can only operate from this one, you know, jumping off point and don't have the support of people to help them, you know, shift with the times and and what people need, like people are becoming more sensitive. People are becoming more um, in tune with themselves and are, and are wanting um, a deeper connection and solution and a more holistic approach and holistic in the sense of like, look at me as a whole person, like, instead of don't look at me as this kidney or don't look at me as just this uterus. Don't look at me as just this, like, you know, congestion in my throat, like look at me. And maybe that's the, you know, where hopefully where we're at is like blending this Eastern medicine and Eastern philosophy into what has been really beautiful about the Western medicine is the advancement of technology. And we have scans and we have all these things that can save your life and can, can be beneficial. Um, but I mean, there's a ways to go. I, I don't know if you saw this awful, awful ad. Oh my gosh. I, I, I had to save it. Cause I was like, is this real? I sent it to my sister. I'm like, is this real? And it's like some, um, like actors and stuff for talking about, uh, birth control. And they're like, okay, get on birth control now. Oh my God. Get on IUD, get on this, you know, protect yourself, take action. And I'm like, ah, ah, (laughs) like it was, it was so intense. It was so intense. And they're like screaming about, and they're like actors, like on Grey's Anatomy. It was like a Grey's Anatomy actors. They're like, they're not really doctors. They're like fake doctors. And they're like this ad about how women should be on birth control. And that is your only option. And that is what you should do. And if your hormones are out of balance, that's what you should do. And if you don't want to get pregnant, that's what you should do. And it's like, 
whoa, what if this, and it was so offensive. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. blah, coming from a person who's like, uh, being on birth control did not work for me. It messed me up way more. And anyway, but you know, having, yeah, having having another solution of, or having another voice that's like, you know, let's take a look at what you're eating. Let's take a look at how your nervous system is. Let's take a look at how, um, your stress management is. Let's take a look at, you know, these different things and then maybe, (laughs) Yes. But that's why so many women are sick right now more than ever before because of all the medications we take, not just for birth control, but like, you know, headache tablets, aches and pains tablets, you know, our environment is more toxic than ever before. The water is more toxic than ever before. We're more ill than our gen, like our ancestors were than ever before because of the food that we eat as well. Crazy. So yeah, like I think that's where a lot of us have to do that kind of work of like, if we want to make sure the next generation are healthy, we kind of have to reduce that amount of stuff that we're taking because yeah, if you look again, it's more women than men that are having health problems than ever before. And I reckon it's linked to probably back into the sixties, you know, with our grand grandparents and what they had to take and, you know, it's in our system and then it's carried on through our mothers and then it's gone into our system. So we, we, it's about healing it and like, trying to flush out the toxins out of our body. Um, But again, the medical system would just say, oh, it's probably because this has happened or that's happened, but not realizing what about your generational patterns? You know, what was it like in your medical history kind of thing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is so weird when you start zooming it out, but people are um, sicker now, but living longer. Yeah, it's strange. (laughs) What a paradox. It's like, we're going to make you really sick and we're going to help you live longer feeling sick the whole time. But we're going to make loads of money out of it as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's kind of close this out with, um, some, maybe your best tips for people who or maybe your best insight, maybe anyone who's listening, mm-hmm. if they're like, okay, this really resonated with me. Um, I think I'm an empath. I think that this just solidified that. And what kind of, uh, steps would you say? Like the first couple of things they can do, if you become aware, like how you and I both like became aware that this is definitely something that I have. It's definitely, um, something that's always been there. What now? So I would do a little bit more research and have a look up the term empath. So you can kind of just get a better understanding about it. Um, Secondly, I would find a coach or a healer, someone like me, or, you know, um, somebody that you really trust. Because again, as an empath, you really want to be in somebody's and like around somebody's energy that you can trust to help you to heal. Um, And then I would also say, look at your patterns. So look at your patterns of your life growing up. When did you start people pleasing? When did you start sacrificing? When did you start the good girl? Because that's a big pattern with empaths. It's, it's, the, it's, whole, it's the whole image of looking good for society. Mm-hmm. Um, and look back at your patterns and you know why you did what you did. But forgive yourself. Mm. You know, if you knew better, you would have done better. But in that moment, that's all you knew. And yeah, I would say then learn to start loving yourself, doing things. And what I mean by learn. Because a lot of women, again, haven't been taught how to love ourselves. And again, that dates back to ancestors. You know, women have always been providers in the sense of like the house, you know, always giving and always serving to men. Um, 
So when I mean by self-love is, you know, and I didn't know self-love, by the way, and I had to learn it because it wasn't modeled for me growing up. And what I mean by that is taking a day off to yourself. It could be like a me day. It could be going for walks. It could be journaling. It could be writing, whatever your heart feels like doing. Um, Self-love is really about connecting to your inner child. So asking your inner child, what do I need right now? Who do I, who do I want to see? How do I feel? And once you start doing that, the joy starts to come back in your life. Um, but I would say working with somebody because it's so important because, hey, I've done 10 years. It was not easy. I didn't work with anybody doing that work. And it was so hard. And I look back and think, gosh, girls, you know, if I got the support, you know, it would have been a lot helpful to understand who I was. You know, if there were empath coaches, coaches back then, my God, my life would have been a lot easier. <laughs> um, it would you have made figured, a massive difference. Yeah, you figured it out the hard way. Sometimes that's what we have to do. But, you know, also it's like kudos to you because experience is the best teacher. So you probably have so much, you know, trial and error experience to be able to support people now. Um, I feel the same way. I'm like, man, I wish I would have done this completely differently, but, <laughs> but that's, this is how we had to get here. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends how quickly you want to heal. So like, if you're, you're willing to do this, the inner work by yourself, great, go for it. But just know that it's, it's going to be highs and lows, but if you work with somebody, you're going to have that support mechanism. And again, as an empath, we're not used to asking for support. We're not used to asking for help, but when you do ask for help, it's less work to do. Mm. And you've got somebody there supporting and guiding you, which I think is beautiful. And I think that's probably why I didn't get the help back then because I was like, oh, I know I can do it myself because that's the empath in me. It's like, I don't need anybody. No, 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 no. But what I've realized now and like now, like I, I speak to counselors if I need to, and I've learned it's so powerful. You know, if you ever have a low moment or you're feeling a bit confused, talk it out with somebody. It's absolutely fine because they can share the wisdom that you might need to hear or they might not even say anything, but you just talking out loud might make you realize what you need to do in your life. Yeah, definitely. That's such a great um, thing to remember is that we don't have to do it by ourselves. We can always access somebody and there's so many people now and yeah, listening to your inner voice, listening to your inner, inner guidance. I always just remind people to, to ask to be shown who who's here to help me. Somebody's here to help me. They'll show up. <laughs> they will, maybe it's on this podcast or maybe it's reading an article or, you know, once you start being open to that, it's, it'll reveal itself to you or the person will be. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. It was so great talking to you. I love this conversation. I think it's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. So thank you so much for bringing your energy and your wisdom to the show. Thank you. <laughs> all right. And down below, I'll link all of your um, social media handles and your website so they can go find out how to work with you. You offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. And yes. is there any other things that you have going on right now? So I have an eight week program and then I also have a VIP day. Um, I am in the process of writing my second book. Um, and I also have a course coming out soon. So if wow. they're ready by the time you put it out, I can send it to you. <laughs> Beautiful. Congratulations. That's, that's Thank amazing. you. It's All been right. a journey. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Gerds.